When I was a boy, my parents gave me the gift of piano lessons, which didn't always feel like a gift because it came with a lot of practice. And to make matters worse, I couldn't play songs by Elton John or Billy Joel. I was stuck with simplified versions of music by guys whom at the time I considered hopelessly uncool, like Tchaikovsky and Bach and other classical masters. When we hear the word practice, most of the time we think about practice as being a means to an end. If you want to become a good piano player, you have to practice. If you want to become a good football player, you have to work out and show up to practice. If you want to become a good cook, you have to practice in the kitchen. And if you want to become a good Christian, you have to Y'all are getting better. We have to practice. In Paul's letter to Timothy, we hear something a little bit different about the practice of the faith. Because we hear that it's not just a means to an end. It's also the end. It's also the goal. It's also the very sign of our progress. And the reason is this. Because unlike practicing the piano to become a good piano player, unlike practicing in the weight room and on the football field to become a good football player, or in the kitchen to become a good cook, we cannot, on our own efforts, achieve holiness or godliness or His grace. It's not all up to us. The practice of the faith is a little different for us because the goal of our faith to become saints, to become godly, to become holy is always the gift of God. But it's by our practice that we increase the likelihood of receiving this gift. And so St. Paul says to the young Bishop Timothy, remain in these practices, stay in these practices, live in these practices, be in these practices. And so, one asks, what exactly are these practices? There are many, but in the section that we read of his epistle to Timothy today, we hear about three in particular. The public reading of Scripture, a second word that is mistranslated as preaching, and thirdly, teaching. Now, before you dismiss these as irrelevant to you because you're not a first or second century Christian bishop or a clergyman, because I know they sound very churchy, the public reading of Scripture and preaching and teaching, I'm reminding you that we all just heard it aloud in church. So the church has decided that everyone needs to hear this, not just a young bishop, but everybody. And so let's take them one by one, the public reading of Scripture. God did not just give you eyes and a mind. So when you read Scripture, if you're going to read it in an orthodox way, you should read it aloud with your mouth. Speak the words. Don't just read them, speak them. If you have to remind yourself that God didn't just give you eyes and a mind, but he also gave you tongue and ears, remind yourself of that. If it takes a little bit more effort, if it burns a little bit more calories to say the words, consider that a sacrifice of praise to God. 
And consider what else happens when you read Scripture out loud. You make it public. It becomes a public reading in your home, which St. John Chrysostom says should be like a little church. Or if you live alone, like me, a little monastery. Read it out loud. Make Holy Scripture a gift to everyone around you, everyone around you and your family. The second word, which I told you was mistranslated, the Greek word is paraklisi. Paraklisi, then simeni, preaching. It does not mean preaching. It means encouragement, help, comfort. And I don't know any human being who's breathing that doesn't need encouragement, help, and comfort. So St. Paul is telling the young Bishop Timothy, make sure you practice encouragement, help, and comfort. It also means to make an appeal or to make a request. That's why when we come for the paraklisis service, you hear that? Paraklisis means a service where we ask for something, where we make a supplication for something. And then the final one is teaching. From time to time, I have people come up and tell me with a lot of nostalgia how wonderful it was when we had a robust Sunday school and the classrooms were filled with children, and I understand. But guess what's seven times more effective than Sunday school one day a week? It's when we teach our families in our homes, when we teach them something a little bit every day, maybe not with our words, but with our examples. So, the public reading of Scripture, encouragement, help, comfort, appeal, request, and teaching. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go here for the first time in a long time, a live performance of Beethoven's Violin Concerto. And I went on Friday morning at 11 a.m., and as you can imagine, at that time, there were many school children there for that performance. And as I looked around, surrounded by these kids, I started to cry, not just because of the beauty of the music and its extraordinary performance, but also at the sight of all those children who got to see what's possible when you practice. Now, this parish may not be young demographically. It may not be young historically like those children, but it is ripe for growth, just like the young Bishop Timothy. And so I offer to you a thought about how transformation happens. Maybe transformation happens when we look around and by God's grace, we see the example of someone who really inspires us by the way he or she is living his or her life, by the commitment they've made as a Christian. Maybe that's how transformation happens. And so I encourage you, as St. Paul did Timothy, attend to the practice or practices, if you will, of the faith. For they are both the means by which we work out our salvation in fear and trembling and the end for us who know that holiness and godliness and God's grace are always a gift from him and not a matter of our own achievement. So just as we sweep the walkway to our door every day, as we might be expecting a visitor, I encourage you, sweep the walkway to your heart every day by faithful practice.